1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, suffering and entrusting. And what I want to do is, is give a little context, a little background here as we move into these verses, because we live in a day, certainly in a time, where there is a lot of emphasis on uh, oppression and, and, and freedom from oppression and all of these things. And scripturally, I want us to, to be ready then to, to receive these words from Peter. So a word here about Christian slaves, Christian slaves. What we need to do is transport ourselves back to the situation that the early church had. As the, the gospel was moving through um, the, the ends of the earth at that time, certainly here in, uh, in, in the people being addressed here in Rome, okay? So, for the grace of God uh, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, note this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for who? For all people. All people. Now, does that mean every single person? If it did, we'd be good to go, wouldn't we? We'd be universalists. That's not what that means. It means that salvation now extends to the ends of the earth. And you don't have to be in a, a certain economic status or socio-political uh, status in order to receive the gospel. So here's what's going on in the early church. Do you realize that a large portion of the church were slaves? They, they, they were believers who were slaves. And they come to gather as, as the church. And so think of the dynamics happening here. Think of what happens in, say, a, a Roman uh, town and city. I, I misspoke. It's not Rome that Peter's writing to. He's writing out to the, uh, the, the reaches of the Roman Empire. But it's true in Rome as well. The church moves in, and, and you gather for worship, and all of a sudden you find yourself sitting next to a person who anywhere else in town would have a totally different defined role. But as he sits next to you, he's brother brother in Christ. He's not slave. He's not, he's not lesser. He is equal brother. And in some cases, slaves would then qualify for eldership in these local churches. So you could conceive of this reality where a slave on Sunday gathering would serve in the role as elder over his earthly master who sat in the pew. <laughs> Think of the dynamic here. The word here that, Paul, uh, that Peter uses when we begin these verses is oiketes. It means house servant or slave. It's, a, it's a, basically a synonymous word with doulos, which is bond servant. Uh, it has a little bit of a nuance of more in the home, but it, it, they're interchangeable in many ways. About one-third of the population of Rome, probably one-quarter of the population of the Roman Empire, was at this point enslaved, slaves. This is economic slavery more than ethnic. So one of the things we've got to do as Westerners, we are so repulsed by slavery, as we should be, as we should be. But in this day, the slavery was not defined by the kind of slavery that we detest, man-stealing, and ethnic-targeted slavery. This was more uh, a slavery of economics. Uh, if you couldn't afford to live, you would, 
you would willingly partner yourself with a, a, a landowner and become his slave to work for him until you could buy your freedom and pay your debt. Um, there were many other scenarios uh, like conquest and other things. Uh, peoples who were weak that were conquered by the Roman Empire were then turned into slaves. And so uh, let me be clear though, this was not pretty. This, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not glossing over This was in many cases brutal uh, the people who were in this position were viewed as property, not people. They were view, viewed as a thing, not a person. They had no rights whatsoever. That is not what the Lord teaches us in His Word. But it is the reality of the day. With that in view, the slaves of this time were often very trusted and placed in positions of great responsibility, many times over large amounts of money. Um, they were paid, they were treated well by and large. I, I say that with great care because the, the uh, depravity of man would show itself often in the poor treatment of, of weaker people or enslaved people. You would find slaves in the roles of teachers, cooks, shopkeepers, builders, doctors, farmers, herdsmen, homeworks. The list goes on. Basically, if there were people out there, it's very possible that you could walk right up past someone who was a slave and not even know it. It wasn't like they were all treated uh, as the, 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 the scum of the earth. Um, these were people who were moving about and yet had no rights. So, and the, the encouragement, too, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, listen, if you can seek your freedom, do it. Like, if, if you can work toward paying that debt off, if you can get out from under that yoke of slavery, do it. But as the gospel moves, there became this very challenging dynamic, and it shows up in so many letters, both by Paul and Peter here. What do you do when... You gather as the church, listen to Galatians 3, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, now, do those realities still exist? Yes, but when we gather, we gather on level ground. The Jews are not better than the Greeks. They don't have more rights or better standing. We all come together bowing at the foot of the cross, right? So distinction, but unity there is neither slave nor free. Now, that's a huge category to have in view when you gather as a church in this period of time. And there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. He's not saying everybody's the same. He's saying you come the same way, undeserving sinners who have been loved and saved by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? So, one Savior, one church, as I mentioned earlier, a supernatural unity. Where else are you going to see this expression of unity? There is no other category of society, especially in this time, where you will find slaves and masters singing together the praise of their one Savior, sharing together in the fellowship and food, and then going home to live extremely different kinds of experiences. It's one of the reasons the testimony of the church was so powerful 
God delights to display his power in transforming people from the inside out. And he doesn't change the category right away. So there was dynamics at work, and it required a lot of wisdom and a lot of teaching. Listen to Paul as he writes to 1 Timothy. He is, Timothy is in Ephesus at the time. Let all who are under yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You see the goal? What's the goal? The goal is the same as last week. That's the same goal. There's a certain submissiveness and honor that is to be shown. We are no longer rebels. We've been set free into submission. And so it is to be displayed even in the yoke of slavery. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. You see how this would play out? You know, Bill, I was just serving communion in church for you. And now you're telling me i got to plow the whole field. What's the deal with that? You you fill in the the ideas that this could be very real. The slave all of a sudden could become very disrespectful, especially to the one who is a brother in the Lord. Instead of this, they are to serve all the better. Serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. (laughs) Wow. What an assignment this is. So we saw last week submission to all civil authorities. This week, we're looking at submission in the workplace. And you say, well, pastor, how do we get from back then, masters and slaves, to the workplace nowadays? Well, I think the principle is the same. The principle applies exactly the same for us in our day as it did for those believers who found themselves either as bosses or uh, under the, the authority of a boss or a master back in the day. In a couple weeks, we're going to be looking at submission in marriage. So the Christian life, as I said last week, is defined by submissiveness and submission. We are no longer rebels. That's who we were. Now we are released into the freedom of submission. So I have some questions for you, believers. If you were wondering about conviction this morning, here it comes. <laughs> what is your reputation at work? Okay? As a as a worker. How about this? What is your attitude toward your boss or your supervisor? Most of us, unless you're totally self-employed and you're doing your own thing, most of us report to somebody, right? There's 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 some supervisor, there's someone who is over us. What is your attitude to, to toward that person or those people? How do you respond when you are wronged at work? Oh man, Peter is going to push this way farther than you could imagine. I mean, he takes it way past what you would expect here today. How do you respond when you do good and yet suffer? Why does this matter to God? What does he desire from his children in the workplace? Okay, so just think. God has you strategically placed, and he has an assignment for you here this morning. It comes in form of command, okay? The command that you have been set free to obey by the power of the gospel. 
So this is not optional. It's not if you feel like it. This is a command of God for you, his ambassador, his representative in the workplace that he has strategically put you in. Lock the doors. All right, here we go. Let's start with verses 18 and 19. Workplace witness. Workplace witness. This is what Peter writes. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures, or most literally bears up under, sorrows while suffering unjustly. Oh, man. These verses are difficult to obey. There is very little in us that naturally is drawn to that. Can we all agree? I mean, that, that is not a natural course for anybody. Our instinct is not to respond in that way. And as Americans especially, we value our rights, our liberties. This is my right, and it's my liberty. Now, praise God that we have rights and liberties. The original audience didn't. He, I mean, just so you feel that. We receive these words and we wrestle with them. Imagine being in that situation as a slave. You're viewed as property. You have no rights at all. And Peter says this. That is a high bar to obey. The command to submit. The call is when you agree. When your boss is nice, brings you in the, the woods coffee before he gives you the, the easy assignment for the day. And you're like, oh, this is, this, I love this job, right? When you're affirmed, oh, man, I'm so proud of you. Look at the great job you're doing. Uh, when it's fair, when it's easy, submit and obey. Well, that's not hard. That's not hard at all. Like, that's, that's par for the course. We love that. Sign me up for that. And when you disagree, when, when your boss makes a decision and you just, you just disagree. And he says, I, I've heard your disagreement. I, I disagree. We're going to do it. Go do it. When he's mean, he's not kind. He's not nice. He's not gentle. He is, he is firm and he is fixed. He might even be harsh. He gives a command. Do it. When you feel insulted by the exchange. Okay? When it's unfair. It's unfair. I've... I've been working here for 10 years, and all of a sudden, all these other people don't, and I have to, what? Do it. Obey. Submit. When it's hard. Man, just fill in the blank. I, I, I don't, I've not visited all of your workplaces, but I can only imagine in a day like we find ourselves, with a state of darkness that is increasing around us, we are presented with opportunities, right? You don't have to look very far to find opportunities like this. The witness of Christian submission. Let me, uh, let me illustrate this for you. I was just thinking about this the other night. Okay, so let's pretend like, like this is you. Is that on? You see it? Okay, so this is you in the workplace, and you're there, and, and you walk in, and you're like, not yet, guys, not yet. You, you walk in and you're like, hey, uh, 
uh, you know, good to be here. And, and they're like, why, why are you wearing a headlamp? Oh, it's because it's I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm called to shine, <laughs> right? I'm here. I, I'm, I'm shining, right? And, and it's, 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 it's working. Like, you're like, okay, it's fine. And everyone's happy and, and things are going great, right? And the lights are on. So it's kind of like, well, okay, whatever. Just keep wearing your headlamp. That's cool. But then at the water cooler, there comes a conversation. The boss makes a decision. No one in the room agrees with it. Everyone around you is souring. They are beginning to be agitated. How dare he? And you walk up to the water cooler. Does this happen? Is, there, is it just hypothetical water cooler? Does this really happen? You gather around a water thing. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Wherever the conversation happens, maybe the lunchroom, okay? And it, it begins to get a little dark. And little by little, you find yourself uh, in this position where your light is shining. Yeah, hit it! And more and more, you feel... Like, wow, uh, I, 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 uh, I, I am having a hard time shining. Um, no one seems to, to, to be shining like this. No, no one seems to be saying, um, yeah, but guys, we should respect our boss. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation where the darker the night, the brighter the light. This is the goal. It's, think of this. God ordains. He doesn't just simply watch. He ordains moments for your headlamp to stand out in the workplace when it comes to your boss, your attitude toward your boss, your desire to submit and obey. Am I blinding you there? I'll turn it up, okay? So it should be bright. It should, it should be standing out. And this is what Peter's talking about here. I mean, look at in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Now, not in sin, right? Clearly not in sin, but everything else. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Do you see how that light shines? I mean, just put yourself at work. You, you feel this, right? There's a dynamic. There's a subtle dynamic, sometimes not so subtle, when your supervisor makes a decision and it's a bad decision and everyone disagrees, but you still are under that supervisor's authority. How will you shine? Not argumentative, not pilfering. That's taking little things that aren't yours or, or stealing, here's one, stealing time. Stealing time. Well, everybody's on their phone at work, but you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if everyone else is on their phone at work stealing time from the boss. You're a Christian. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be working. Not stealing, not pilfering. And then he adds, and showing all good faith. What's the goal? What's our aim in this light that's on? When we come into work and the light is shining, even when the lights drop in the room and you feel all alone, so that in everything... Those who submit, those who carry the name of Christ may adorn the doctrine of God. That's our goal. Let's bring those lights up. We are called to spotlight the grace of God. It's our, it's our privilege. It's our honor. And rather than being confused by moments like that or, or panic 
and, and, and freeze in moments like that, resolve today. God does that. He brings that moment to pass so that I can be a spotlight to the gospel of grace. He saved me from rebellion. He saved me out of rebellion. That's not me anymore. I'm not a rebel. I'm not to be a rebel, and I'm not a rebel in the workplace. Let me be clear. doesn't mean you can't disagree. doesn't mean you can't speak your mind. But when you do, what's the tone? What's the fruit that is to be on display? Fruit of spirit, patience, kindness, self-control, right? Gentleness, goodness, all of those fruits spotlight the gospel of grace. And this includes when you are wronged. It includes when you, when you are in a situation that is unjust, it's unfair, and you don't like it. Shine. That's what Peter says. Shine. God brought this opportunity to your life for such a moment as this so that your light would literally stand out from everyone around you who is not saved. You never know how God will use a God-honoring response in a situation of, of just chaos to show someone the light of the gospel. It really does change us from the inside out. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, he says, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. Think of this. It's amazing that he describes it. Peter says, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, I think that's the secret, that's the key, when mindful of God, one bears up under sorrows while suffering unjustly. There's patience in view. There's perseverance in view. There's, I won't let it get me. I will not surrender to my instinct, that echo of sin. I will love. I will shine. I will work it through. I will say no to sin. This is not pretend. We're not saying Christians just get a stiff upper lip and pretend like everything's great. Throw the switch, wear the mask. That's not what we're saying. We're talking from the heart. This is a supernatural work of God that we can pray for and fight for in His strength, and we can do this. We can do this. Mindful of God, enduring sorrows and suffering unjustly. Hmm. Mindful of God, that's the key. What if I can't, what if I just can't focus? I can't believe he said that. Stop and pray. Stop and pray. Get away. You know, go to the janitor's closet. Shut the door if you have to. Get the mop. Grab onto it and pray. Lord, I need your help. I look up to you. I remember who I am. I am your ambassador in this workplace. I am called to shine Help me stand out now. Help me because I'm struggling. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Provide for me in that moment what I need. The right words, the right tone, what not to say, when to rebuke fellow workers who are insubordinate and disrespectful, when to just walk away. Give wisdom, O oh God, so that I will shine. 
even when I suffer unjustly. Wow. Ephesians 6, Paul says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. There it is. It's not just raw obedience. It's from the heart. As you would obey Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. This is one of the secrets to unlocking this kind of submission. I serve my king, and he has given me this assignment to be here. Even in the face of of, of a lack of just dealings, I will shine, and I will do his will. So I'm not sinning. Be, Be clear. You don't just go along with sin. You don't just make make partner with with unethical decisions. Never should that be true of us. Maybe that's partly why suffering comes. Suffer for doing good. You obey the the Lord that you serve always and submit. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, and remembering with, with thought of God Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, regardless of who you are, the slave or the free man. He sees, he knows, he rewards. He's ordained these good works from before there was time. Colossians, Paul says it this way, Very similar, really. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. Work hard at it. Christians are hard workers. We're not slothful and lazy and stealing of time. We're hard workers. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. This is the mindful of God part. I, even as one who is a slave who has zero rights in this life, I am a son of the living God, an heir of all things. If I don't receive in this life a penny for my work, I will receive from the Lord for every ounce of strength that I labor in this day. Man. The assignment. Friends, we have it easy compared to our brothers and sisters that we will spend forever with who walk the road of slavery. In this way, you are serving the Lord Christ. This is gospel-rooted. It's the only only way that this is going to happen. Grace-dependent, the only way this is going to go down. God-glorifying submissiveness from the heart. You want to stand out in the workplace for the glory of God? You want to show forth the grace that changed you from the inside out? Then respond in a way that no one will see see coming. You might say, well, that's, yeah, I I haven't been doing that. Nope. (laughs) Haven't been doing that. Start this week. Start this week. Lord, give me opportunity to turn course. Give me a chance now to show that you've changed me. I've been addressed by you. Give me opportunity now to put this to work. And he will. He will. He will meet you there. Verses 20 and 21, called to righteous suffering. These are verses that take it even beyond what you could imagine. Called to righteous suffering. 
Peter says this, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? <laughs> what credit is that? You, you offended the master. You, don't be the reason for your consequence. Don't be the reason for your beatings, as it were, your discipline. Don't be like that in the workplace. Don't be the person who's, who's disrespectful and, and then you're like, oh, woe is me, I'm being punished. Well, that's what you chose. That's what Peter's saying. Don't do that. Instead, if when you do good, you suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing. It finds favor in the sight of God. Everyone else is fixing the, the, the books. Everyone else is changing the numbers, right? But, but you're a Christian, and that's not how we roll. And so you keep accurate counts and accurate numbers, and your supervisor says, listen, man, uh, <laughs> you're messing everybody up. And you're like, well, listen, I, you know, I, I, I want to be precise, and I tell the truth. This is who I am. I'm a Christian. Uh, I, I, I cannot disobey my master. I'm serving my king as I'm serving you. And, and you're going to want good books. You're going to want accurate accounting. Stand out. Stand out. Well, if you keep doing this, I'm going to have to let you go. I, I, I don't know what to say. This is who I am and this is how I work. You hired me to do this job. I'm doing it exactly correctly according to what is required of truth. And, uh, and, and that's where I'm at. So if you suffer for it, it's a gracious thing. Well, I got fired for doing what was right. Praise God. Praise God. He will honor that firing. He will meet you in your need, and you will be glad you kept your word. Your name stands Christian in a dark world. Even if everyone at work thinks you're a jerk, and they write you off. It's a gracious thing. It finds favor. Which means God will give you moments like this to stand out. Don't compromise. Don't fold. For to this you have been called. That is, called to suffer unjustly. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. God saved you. He called you. That's the effectuous calling of God into life. You've been called to life in part here to suffer unjustly. Because Christ also suffered for you. Was that just? Nope. Not even close. When he did this, not only did he accomplish our atonement in laying his life down on a Roman cross and dying the most brutal death, the most unjust death the world has ever known, but he also charted the course for our lives. He said, these are the footsteps to follow. Follow in his steps. Doing good and suffering. You ever been there? You ever been there? You know what I've run into at times is I've run into Christians that are doing good and then they enter a season of suffering and then they begin to say, well, wait a second, God. I thought we had a deal. I, this, it, you know, I thought we had a deal. The guy on TV said, you see what I mean? The guy on TV said that if I obey you and, and do your will and do good, that good will come to me. And God says, yeah. 
Your suffering is going to be used for good. Suffering itself is not good. God does not call suffering good. He says, there is a good that I have for you, and that good is your holiness. And in this suffering, I bring good to you, just not the good the world would prefer. But Lord, I was doing right, so why am I suffering? Catch yourself if you go down this road. Catch yourself. It is subtle, but it is there. Oh, we are, we are wired to perform and think that we deserve. We don't earn the favor of God. He bestows it freely through Jesus Christ. If you are suffering for, being, for doing good, it is a gracious thing. It's a favor-finding moment for you. Praise God that you are counted worthy to suffer for His name. We share in our Savior's sufferings when we go through this. I mean, listen to these verses. Jesus said it this way. If you were of the world, Christians, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you want to know why you suffer when you do good? It's because you're connected to me. You suffer with me. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They will. Not maybe. They will. It's coming. For some of us, we've experienced this already. For some, it's just getting warmed up. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not all the same way, right? It's not going to come all the same way for people here in this room, but it is going to come. There is a moment where the light shines in the dark, and the darkness hates that light and opposes that light. They don't like, get that out of my face, Christian. Get out of here with that. Why don't you join us down here in the dark? That's not who I am anymore. By his grace, he changed me. You think you're better than us? You're holier than thou? No, I know. I know I'm not better than you. I, I can guarantee that. I am a sinner saved by grace, released from rebellion, and given the freedom of submission. To this you have been called, Christian. <laughs> wow. Lay down your life. Hold nothing back. Bear your cross and follow me. Reminds me of Acts chapter 5. Don't forget who is in view here. Remember, it's the guy that wrote this right here, all these years later. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles. Peter is the mouthpiece of the apostles as they have been addressing the very people that killed Jesus. When they had called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. What was Peter's response? Now, this is a man who has just been beaten for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He and the disciples, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name Here's what they weren't saying. Lord, I thought you loved us. I thought we were doing 
what you wanted us. Why, why are we getting beaten here? That's not on their minds. Here's also what they weren't saying. I hate those guys. How dare they kill my Jesus? How dare they lay a hand on me for preaching good news of salvation? I mean, don't they understand? We're going to start a movement, and we are going to take these leaders down, and we're going to start this thing. We're going to get a rebellion. That's not what they were saying either, is it? Here's what they were saying. Praise God that he deemed us worthy to suffer for the sake of his glory. And, by the way, they kept preaching the gospel, the good news, from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There's something special in that for us. I hear those words in these of Peter. I hear his own experience. Maybe he's looking down at scars he took from that beating and many others. As God counted him worthy to suffer. We don't tend to think this way. But biblically we should. Now the right response is our Savior Jesus. He gave us the example to follow in his steps. What did he do in response? Verse 22 He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. What an example we have in our Savior. Now, I always want to make clear here, there are people that want to turn Jesus just into an example. Just into an example. So Jesus is just a great example for us to follow. No, he is a savior. And if we don't have that first and foremost in our hearts, we will never be able to follow his example. It'll be false and pharisaical. And we'll be performing and thinking that we're deserving as a result. No, we come to Jesus as savior to find release from sin. And that is our most important need. By the way, um, liberation theology is trying to now turn the gospel into, well, well, Jesus was all about freedom for the oppressed. If that was true, and, and the primary concern of the New Testament was just helping the oppressed, the poor, the slaves, these words wouldn't exist in the Bible. Liberation theology and CRT is completely backwards. It's upside down. That is not what Jesus sought to bring about. The revolution he would release then would go after the people in authority, rather than call them to submit as slaves. The freedom we need is freedom from sin. What is the slave's greatest need? A savior from sin. Will other things follow? Absolutely, yes. But chiefly and foremost, we come to Jesus as Savior, and then we, by his power, follow his example, which was perfect. It was perfect. Hmm. The ultimate injustice was committed on the cross of Jesus Christ. A sinless man. He never sinned. He never sinned. This is one of those blaring passages that makes that so clear. There was no sin in our Savior. And he died. One of the things this pushes us to to just apply right away then is sin against me does not justify sin in return this is a very simple thing uh, we do this often in counseling you know billy 
and, and those who counsel biblically. We come here a lot. Remember now, I, I am not responsible or accountable for the sins that have been committed against me. I am responsible for my response to them. It's one of the reasons that I am against abortion, even in cases of rape and incest. Why? Because you don't wash over horrific sin by adding sin. Murder does not solve rape. It just makes it all the blacker and worse. Sin against me does not justify sin in return. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what he said. Catch yourself. I've lived with this for so long. I am sick of it. Okay, there's issues. Absolutely, yes. However, my sin is never to be justified because of your sin. We answer for the choices we make. And friends, we are free to obey. We don't have to return evil for evil. Jesus didn't. He didn't. Even when he was being crucified. He did not sin. There was no sin in him or in his mouth. I I think this is significant. Uh, There was nothing deceitful or violent as as Isaiah 53 would call out in, in these things. He did not threaten in return. I like how MacArthur said it, the heart of man expresses sin most easily and often through the mouth, through the mouth, which is why our words are such a big deal. We will give an account for every careless word, every single word. We carelessly just let rip out of our mouth. And the reason we are called to tame the tongue is because we have something inside of us that needs to be addressed first. It's it's, it's the tongue that reveals the heart. So do the work inside. Jesus had no sin inside, and there was no sin in his mouth. No reviling. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, if you've got a New American Standard Bible, you'll see that himself is italicized. I appreciate when they do this. Uh, the, the work of translation is not easy, and oftentimes uh, to make it readable, they're, they're putting in words that, that, that help with the flow of things. So in the ESV, it just reads just like that. In the original text, himself is not there. Okay, And, and there are times where I, I, I would prefer that it not be. In, in this case, I would say himself limits the text. It, it doesn't enhance, it doesn't help. He continued entrusting to him who judges justly. Well, what was he entrusting? Certainly himself, yes, but more. Their words, their offenses, their mocking, their spitting, their beating of a crown of thorn, their insults, their reviling, their passivity, their silence, their their, their chants, everything in between. He was entrusting it all to the Father in heaven who judges justly. Not a sin will be missed. Not a single sin will be missed. You know that. God will punish with precision and perfection every sin ever committed in the history of the world. This is the secret of entrusting. He will either punish it on Jesus Christ on the cross or He will punish punish it with, with fire forever in the fires of hell. Don't think you can improve on the punishment. You can't. You, you, you can't make it 
more severe, more right, more fitting than God's punishment is. Resentment and revenge, therefore, have no place in the Christian. We, we simply don't have this. We do, there's no place to work this out. Well, I'm resenting. What is resentment? Well, I'm afraid that you might miss what they did, Lord. I'm going to hold on to it because I'm not sure that you are. Oh, he's got it. He's got it. That resentment is poison for your soul. Don't go there. Jesus didn't. And revenge. Lord, I, I don't think you're acting. I, I, don't, I don't see you meeting this injustice. I feel like I need to do something. I will take matters into my own hands. I will be the agent of your justice. And he's like, guess what? I don't need your help. I got this. I see it. He cares. Don't think he doesn't care. He cares far more than you can imagine. There is no place in the Christian life for revenge. Jesus didn't do it. Romans 12, 17 and 19. Oh, believers, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, here's the secret, mindful of God, I can suffer because I know this. Vengeance is not mine. It's his. He will repay. He will repay. Either there or in the fires of hell. We have a just God. He is holy. Nothing escapes his gaze. Not a single thing. Okay, believers. This morning then, just to sum this up, our Heavenly Father is pleased and glorified when we trust Him and, three things, submit from the heart to both good and bad bosses. Okay, now let me just say this. We, you can get a different job, right? <laughs> These people didn't have that option. You, you can get a new employer. But don't just assume that a new job fixes everything. Any supervisor, any boss you have, at some point along the way, is going to grind on you a bit. Why? Because, well, they're not you. <laughs> and, and, and your opportunity is in that moment. Get that headlamp on and let it shine. Secondly, our Heavenly Father is pleased and glorified when we trust Him and do what is right and good, even if we suffer for it. This is the part of submission to the Lord first and above all that may bring a termination notice, a pink slip. It may bring a, no promotion for you. It may bring injustice beyond all imagination. And that is your moment to shine, Christian. It is a gracious gift of God that you have been called to suffer for His name. Our Heavenly Father is pleased and glorified as well when we trust Him and follow Christ's righteous example, suffering and entrusting. Suffering and entrusting. Hmm. Goes back to the purpose statement that Peter said over all of this. Our goal. What's our goal? We're His ambassadors. Called to shine. Keep your conduct, Christians, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Let's pray.
Father, I confess the many, many times in my life where this inclination of rebellion, this grumbling, uh, this, this sense of being wronged or injustice has welled up in me against someone in authority over me in some situation or job or place. And oh, Lord, I know by experience how hard it is to respond with God-honoring submission. I imagine in this room, think of all the different professions we represent here, the places you have strategically placed us with the primary mission of being your ambassadors, shining the light that you have given to us, showing the grace that you have shown to us. I imagine there are many opportunities, many great challenges, even some in this room this morning who are suffering right now unjustly. Equip us, Lord, with these words. We bless you for these commands, and we need you to obey them. Help us draw the strength that you provide to respond in a way that would surprise the world and draw attention to the power of what resides within us, the power of the gospel, what you are doing to change us from that rebel instinct you've called us from and into this freedom that we love, the freedom of submission. We delight in you and we praise you now. Make these things come to pass for your glory. Use us to the end of gospel witness in the workplace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.